0: In the reputation book, first of all, it's proclamation news and governments. It's a wild, it's a amazing how you audience can come together on a proclamation news and governments. i want to marinate you with my words, subscribed. I'm to es- exclamate you from, emasculate you from other channels to tune in and subscribe and share. I'm becoming a prominent man in history, ancient history. Of politics, how the world is reformed, what it is to, to today in postmodernism society. It's proclamation as a gathered chapter three, in Elizabeth one, two point four, the portraits, page one hundred twenty-two, in the book of reputations, Open University. In the previous section, we looked at written primary sources. However, Historians also use visual primary sources as evidence. In doing so, historians often borrow techniques from a related subject area art history. Historians draw on a range of methods and approaches to help us understand our sources. you discover more about the approaches of history later in this book. We can ask the same questions of visual sources as we do of written primary sources. What kind of image is it? What is the historical context? How does an image help us to study a particular period of history? The culture of Elizabeth Elizabethan England was a very visual and educated. People of the time had the skills to decode quite complex stories and symbolism in images. Therefore, portraits of Elizabeth provide rich evidence of how her reputation was formed in her lifetime. We have to be careful, though, as these portraits were only owned or seen by a small number of people from the highest levels of society. However, they help us see how these people understood Elizabeth's reputation, especially as they were often very influential figures, whilst you might be able to call to to mind some images of Elizabeth. During her later years, you might not be familiar with the pictures of her during the early part of her reign. For example, we will consider detail is known of the Hampton portrait and dates from around 1563. Are the years into Elizabeth's reign, when she was aged around 30, the earliest full-length image of the Queen and a posed image about 2 metres high and the portrait is significant as it was one of their first attempts to create and control Elizabeth's visual image. Which is important to remember if we want to f- um, to think about the context in which the portrait was produced in the same year it was painted. In si- uh, 1563, a royal proclamation had been drafted complaining that the painters were making poor quality images of the Queen and that none half sufficiently oppressed the natural representation of Her Majesty. The person, the favour or grace, Hughes or Larkin, 1969, page 240. The type of portraits that were being criticised how showed Elizabeth's dress quite modestly in black, which, although a symbol of piety, did little in advantage advance the prestige of the new Queen, for example, the Clopton portrait, as shown in figure four. The Hampton portrait was therefore the first of the new type of portrait of Elizabeth I. Painted during the negotiations for a possible marriage match between Elizabeth and the Roman Catholic Archduke Charles of Austria. The Queen had nearly died of smallpox that year, causing anxiety over who would succeed her as monarch when she died, and fuelling desire for her to marry and produce an heir. The Hampton portrait presents Elizabeth as a a marriageable young Queen in the hope of attracting a good royal match. The symbols, signs and a portrait back up their in- interpretation. With a lot with a lot of the symbols aiming to convoy her royal status, the Tudor rose on her shoulders' highlights her descent from Tudor royal line, as she is standing in front of the throne and a golden cloth of state, bearing a royal coat of arms. Other symbols stress her readiness to marry. She is holding a giddy flower or pink carnation clim- in her right hand, which symbolises betrothal or ind- or independent marriage. There are no lush fruits to the right of the painting, including peas about to burst forth from their pods, suggesting Elizabeth's fertility. Her dress is a striking red, which was understood as the colour of sexuality, and was sometimes the colour of 16th-century wedding dress. Walker, 1998, page 274. If you look closely, you can see that there are pearls on the girdle chain, around her waist and down the front of her dress. Pearls were a symbol of virginity at the time, placed alongside the signs of her sexuality. They are intended to suggest that Elizabeth, through a virgin, is ripe for marriage and childbearing. Although Elizabeth is clearly shown as a royal and extremely wealthy, there is no particular attempt to bolster or create a royal image with the portrait. Instead, it highlights her potential as a suitable marriage match. We don't know precisely who commissioned the Hampton portrait. Through it must have been a uh, courteous close to the marriage negotiations, but considering it was a new type of image of the Queen. It is likely she approved of how it portrayed her. Uh, Page 125 of Figure 5 Stephen van der Mullen Stephen van Herwidjik Attributed the Hampton portrait of 1563, oil on the panel transferred onto canvas, is 196 cm to 140 centimeters. Private collection. Is a photo uh, copyrighted by Philip Mould Limited in London. The bridge, the bridge and, bridge and man uh, images. We've got an activity on page 126. George Gower attributed the uh, the Milder portrait in 1588, oil on panel. 134 times 6 6, times 6 centimeters. The Warborne Abbey, Abbey Bedfordshire photo, and the Bridg- Bridgeman images. Activity around 15 minutes to complete. Let's look at another. Look at. Let's look at another image of Elizabeth Firth. In doing so, we're going to analyse this visual source to see what it can tell us about the period we're studying, as within the written sources. The portrait known as a a portrait. It dates from 1588 and commemorated the image painted after the defeat of the Spanish Armada. The Queen was about 55 years old at the time. Several versions of this portrait exist, all dating from the same year. It looks like a paternalistic, old Victorian type painting with ships in the back. As you look at the image, trying to answer the following questions. Give that image was produced following the defeat of the Spanish attack. What might be the significance of the two scenes between the columns between Elizabeth? Remember, you can look more closely at the painting in the online gallery on the module website. How is Elizabeth presented as a monarch in this image? Why do you choose to focus on the following? She looks very uh, modest. She looks kind of provoked, stressed in her eyes. How Elizabeth is presented compared to the Hampton portrait in figure 5? Is she shown as a lifelike or not, or symbols of virginity shown prominently? Can you identify any symbols of Lucas royal status in the Armada portrait? This discussion you, you probably have identified that a scene of the left shows ships at sea, and you may have noticed the ships towards the back of the scene or in the fire. There is an image of the English fire ship that were scattered in the Spanish Armada, a defence manoeuvre against the Spanish attack scene of the right, Elizabeth is the ships of the in the storm, which ships hitting the rocks. This is the shipwreck on the same Spanish ship in Scotland and Ireland. The two scenes tell a story, Elizabeth's victory over Spanish. The first scene being dispersal, the Spanish fleet were fire ships, and the second being an impact on the weather and attacking ships. You might have noticed in the, in the minor portrait, the Queen looks... Less lifelike in earlier pictures, her dress is huge and conceals most of her body. And her face and hands are so pale that almost white, she appears ageless and almost superhuman. And the many pearls in the portrait cl- clearly symbolise her virginity. In the Hampton portrait there are a few discreet pearls signifying the ripeness of her marriage. But here there are pearls all over the dress, head headdress and crown. You might have noticed the crown on the left, which symbolizes Elizabeth's royal status. You might also have noticed that in the Amanda portrait, she stands in front of a richly decorated chair. This is a chair of state, a short of a throne, similar to the one in on the Hampton portrait. In the Amanda portrait, Elizabeth is transformed into a queen in full majesty. Her womanly body is concealed, and she becomes a symbol of otherworldly royalty. Her hand, hand rests on a globe, and, that, and, that, and that's another important message. Her hand rests on America, acknowledging English hopes of expansion and the trade within the new world. The crown shown above the globe is an imperial crown, a closed crown with arches, meaning that Elizabeth is portrayed as an impress, acknowledging superior strong. 1987, page 132. You have already noticed that many pearls in the portrait represent their virginity, but they are not the only symbol of virginity in the picture. You may have, been, you may have seen the mermaids carved into the arm of the chair of state, for example. Mermaids, the temptress or sailors, were symbols of their uncontrolled female sexuality. Belsley and Belsley, 1990, page 14. In this image, Elizabeth turns her back on dangerous female sexuality and is presented as a Virgin Queen of England. In the understanding this image of Elizabeth's represent, uh, rep- representation as a virgin queen, we need to again think about the historical context. It was painted around uh, 1588 when she was about 55 years old. But later in her life, portraits of Elizabeth started to make explicit and unmistakable reference to her virginity in Figure 7. You can see one of the series of the portraits painted between 1579 and 1583 featured Elizabeth with a, uh, sie- a sieve. The sieve portrait by the Qu- uh, Quentin Me- uh, Metzi, the younger Elizabeth, times. This the sieve was a symbol of virginity, alluding to Tusia, to a Roman pr- uh, priestess who proved her virginity by f- uh, filling a sieve with water and r- from the river Tiber. To see as a sieve, did not shed a drop of water, proving a virginity. There are symbols of virginity in the sieve portrait too. The pillar to the left is covered with pictures showing the classical story of Dido and uh, Aeneas. The tail is a symbol found in the Roman Empire. You may have also noticed that once again there are lots of pearls in this image. The portrait emphasises Elizabeth's virginity at every turn. Figure 7 is... Uh, Quentin Metzies the, the Younger, Portrait of Elizabeth of England, the, the Sieve Portrait, 1583, Oil on the Canvas, 124 x 92 cm, The Pinnacotta and uh, Nazanel, Siena, Scala Florence, courtesy of the Ministero, Bini e Atz, Culturali e del Turismo, page 130 of chapter 3. Elizabeth 1, page 130. So why did the portrait start to represent Elizabeth as a virgin in the late 1570s and 1580s, when earlier portraits such as the Hampton Portrait, figure 5, did not focus on this? We can find a clue in the sieve portrait. The painting was almost certainly commissioned by Christopher Hatton, a leading courtier of Elizabeth in 1583. The third figure on the right behind Elizabeth may be Hatton himself. His badge of golden... Him is just visible in the figure's cloak. In the late 1570s and early 1580s, another potential husband for Elizabeth was proposed: the French prince, Fran- uh, Francis duke of Anjou. Many courtiers, including Hatton, opposed the match, wanting Elizabeth to continue to reject marriage, thus remaining a virgin queen. Hatton's commissioning of the portrait is a commemoration of the triumph of his opposition to match. Consequently, the historian Patrick uh, Collin- Collinson has commented that it was only the late 1570 early fifteen eighties that the persona of the courting queen was invented, or the least perfect. Collinson, two thousand fourteen, page forty. This started with courtiers opposed to Elizabeth proposed a marriage to Andrew, but gathered. pays thereafter it was increasingly accepted that the Queen would die unmarried and childless. From 1580s, Elizabeth came to, the, to be depicted as the Virgin Queen, a goddess, the untouchable and the other-worded Queen of the Am- Amada portrait. As you started to work on this unit, you might have held that the view that Elizabeth was the Virgin Queen, but did Elizabeth herself encourage the reputation? You might want to look back at the speeches you studied earlier to see if you can find the evidence of this. It turns out that Elizabeth made a few references to her virginity in her speeches when Parliament demanded she marry in 1559, at the very start of her reign. She did tell them, tell them that, in the end, this shall be, for me, sufficient, that a, ma- a marble stone shall declare that a queen, having reigned such a time, lived and died a virgin. Marcus et al. 2000, page 58, yeah, Elizabeth said this time of context of Western pressure to marry. So a reference, so a reference to virginity might be accepted beyond that. Elizabeth rarely portrayed herself as a virgin queen. The idea only seems to have become common at the time of the Andrew marriage proposal in the years around 1580, when it was expressed in the portraits, as you have seen, as well in other forms such as poetry elizabeth did not commission these portraits and poems but were designed to to please and win favor with the queen she must have proved of being represented in this way moreover she did commission a miniatures small images of herself which showed herself as a classical virgin goddess diana and cynthia figure eight the Nicholas Hillard, uh, Hillard miniature of Elizabeth I, the 1586 87, watercolour on a vellum stuck onto paint card, 54 centimetres, Victoria and Albert Museum, London Museum, number page 223 to 1965. The copyrighted and Albert Museum, London, the crescent shaped piece of jewelry in Elizabeth's hair, refers to the Cynthia or Diana, the virgin moon goddess. As we come to the end of this section of the chapter, what can we see about Elizabeth's reputation of, in her lifetime? You can see the very different reputations of Elizabeth that can be drawn from different primary sources. Her speeches highlight different ideas of her queenship than her portraits do. The and Susan Duran has argued the, uh, the multiple images of Elizabeth circulated during her lifetime, more so than earlier English rulers. At the different times, she was a virgin queen. Dorian 2011 page 54, these multiple reputations were undoubtedly the result of Elizabeth's gender and her unmarried status and text and images reflected the times in which they were created. Dorian also highlights the importance of a culture that embraced religious and class- classical symbolism Dorian, 2003, page 55, the success of the creation of Elizabeth's multiple persons. In the late sixteenth century can be the fact that over four hundred years later we still think Elizabeth as both the royal prince of Tilbury and the Virgin queen. Her personal motto may have been Semper Eden always the same, but the power of her reputation steamed from its variability. Vir- she was once she was one woman with mul- multiple reputations for the member of this cha- for the minder of this chapter. Page 133, Elizabeth's Hysterical Reputation. For the main this chapter, we'll move on from looking at the reputation Elizabeth had during her own life, and how this was constructed, to how she was being regarded by later historians, what we might call a historical reputation. Elizabeth I is often regarded as having a very successful monarch, yet in some years it is hard to pinpoint why that should be. She had a long reign, it was, it was true and it was fortunate enough to reign in for the time of the willing Shakespeare, but she has um, achieved few of the successes that were usually regarded as the marks of the great ruler. She did not make some conquest of her territory. She made no major legal reforms and living standards for the people were in fact declining during her reign. The most decisive steps in the religious reformation was the Protestant split from the Roman Catholic Church, were instigated by her father, Henry VIII. Not Elizabeth herself, she did not found a new destiny, she did not even continue her own destiny, but left the succession to the throne unsettled for the whole of her reign. Yet Elizabeth retains a reputation of having presided over a golden age. It was possible that you thought of her this way when you began to study the unit. His activity allowed 30 minutes to complete his activity. Turn to page reading 3.4, with, which is an extract from the biography about Elizabeth Firth, written by the of Patrick Collinson at the beginning of the 21st century, in which she describes the views of both historians and non-historians concerning Elizabeth's reputation. Make a note of the key points he makes about her reputation. Does he view something that he changed or remains stable? Is discussion. the constant notes that the uh, public's fascination with Lisbon remains very strong, yet also points is potentially difficult to see why this is. it goes to onto the point. Despite their popular interest, professional historians tend to be more critical of our reputation, particularly with regard to our cautious tendency to avoid making decisions. His wording stresses that the reputation has shifted over the years and might even go in phases. Collinson, two thousand four, as Collinson makes clear in the passages passage the judgment historians pass the historical figures do not remain constant they were very rare at the time they, vary, they and they vary between historians in this section of the chapter we will look at how and why this happens historians and their inter, uh, interpretation of the past so far we have seen it, that historians need to be very careful and critical about how to use promises relating to historical figures at the same time with other main types of sources by, used by historians, secondary sources. These sources are written after the event, usually by historians themselves and published as books, or scholarly articles, or more recently as television or radio programmes, blogs, and so on. All of these secondary sources present a picture of an account of some element of the past, some part of history, yet, like a primary sources, secondary sources must be regarded critically which is to say that we should not believe that they are de- uh, definitive in history and every field of knowledge. We should always assume that we are c- what is currently believed in fixed truth. And we saw what the figure of Cleopatra Elizabeth has become, an I- iconic historical figure, not only because of our own actions, but also because of the way our story has been told by historians. She is one of the most closely studied women in world history, subject of countless books and articles, naturally. Not all those who have closely studied her life have come to precisely the same conclusion about her. We should not find this surprising after all. You would not necessarily be surprised if you have a very different opinion to a friend or relative about their merits, in particular politician, artist or athlete. It's also also quite possible that two describing the same event or two witnesses in, in the trial may give different versions of the same story. In a similar way, two historians will give somewhat different accounts of the same historical event or person. There can be many reasons of these differences. It is seldom between uh, deliberate efforts to mislead or suppress certain facts. Assessing events in the past is complex. Just determining the guilt or innocence of the accused in the trial can be very difficult for the whole host of different reasons The evidence may be incomplete or uh, contradictory. The cause of political events can be very difficult to identify or the consequence of the action may be difficult to assess and may look very different in the short term and they do in the long term. Historians may have different assessments of historical figures depending on the moral question. For example as we will see Elizabeth ordered the execution of her cousin Mary Queen of Scots was in an act of the cruel murder of the pragmatic sta- uh, statesmanship. Historians may also make different ju- judgments about what is important or ask different questions about historical figures one might ask did elizabeth make england a great miniature power while another might just as reasonably ask the sort of question by which might be judged as a modern uh, modern prime minister or president such as did elizabeth provide a high standard of living for her people as well as this, historians particularly concerned with one aspect of her legacy might draw conclusions based on a particular aspect. Historians of Ireland, for example, may be much more critical of Elizabeth than English historians, since Elizabeth record as a vulgar of Ireland was marked by a great deal in instability and violence. Thus, historians reach different conclusions about the people in the past for a wide range of legitimate reasons. We refer to these historical inter- uh, interpretation: human beings, after all, are complex and it is difficult to provide an assessment of their lives, which is at once short enough to di- digestible, to detailed enough to justice to the subject. It is especially difficult to judge the success or failure of a ruler like Elizabeth, since she inherited problems from her predecessors and the outcomes of her actions were not the making alone. But were dependent on the action of many people she dealt with at home and abroad. Furthermore, historians do not work on isolation. Their work is influenced by that the other historians, both past and current, and the research responds to build on support changes and not others in this way, historians seek over time to improve our knowledge of the past. In this section, we will look at some of these issues by considering different ways in which Elizabeth's actions have been assessed by historians. Why historians, historians have come to different conclusions about them. We will do this by looking further at two important aspects of her leg- legacy: a role in the defeat of the Spanish Armada, and a decision about marriage and her succession. 3.2: Elizabeth and the Spanish Armada. First, we will look at the event that we have already touched on in this chapter. An event which, perhaps more than anything else, Elizabeth's popular reputation rests on, the defeat of the Spanish Armada. In the later century, this has become an event of the talismanic significance in English history. Not only was the defeat of a great Roman Catholic enemy of the Protestant England, but it was also an early sign of naval power that later came to the backbone of the British Empire. Elizabeth disliked war and she sought to avoid it for most of her reign. She maintained peace. Despite ongoing tension between England and Spain, the most powerful nation in Western European Europe of the time, tension was largely arose from religious differences between Protestant England and Catholic Spain. Elizabeth finally decided to go to war in 1585, sending troops to support the Dutch who were rebelling against Spain's Spanish rule. She did this in attempt to limit Spanish power in Northern Europe because she feared that if Spain managed control of the Netherlands, they should use it to base attack on England. Therefore, despite a popular image of the uh, the fear, fearsomely powerful Spain attacking the, uh, the relatively weak England Elizabeth had made the first aggressive move by doing so. She arguably made the attack feared all more likely and it proved in 1587 Philip Second of Spain ordered the preparation of the Great Fleet in a, on armada to attack England This fleet attended, uh, intended sail from Lisbon in Portugal, the part of the Spanish Empire to the English Channel the rendezvous with the army of Fla- uh, Flanders, the Spanish forces, forces already in Netherlands to fight the Dutch and then escort them across to England and descend on to London. See figure 9, the strategy assumed the English fleet would be able to not disrupt the plan. Initially, this assumption prov- proved accurate the two fleets made more con- uh, contact with the coast of Cornwall in July 1588 and the engagement of the intermittent fighting of the next several days as they sailed eastwards along the southeast of england however neither side was able to inflict much damage on the other the spanish hoped to destroy english ships by making contact engaging in hand-to-hand down on page 138 chapter 3 elizabeth the first Fighting the English ships were nimble, enough to avoid this. The English, by contrast, hoped to see the cannon power to sink Spanish ships from a distance, but the cannon were not powerful enough to have major impact. The Spanish Armada reached Calais and anchored in good order. At the moment, the fate of Europe seemed to hinge on whether Armada could accomplish the rendezvous with the Army of the Flanders. If it did, then it invaded England, the kingdom would quite possibly f- uh, fall. Since the England land forces were relatively weak in England's fell, so would the Netherlands and Spain would remain supreme. On the night of the 28-29 t- July 1588, an English attempted a different manoeuvre. Eight small ships were loaded with firewood and gunpowder and were ignited and directed towards the Spanish fleet. Look at figure 10. The chart showing the fireship attack of Robert Adams, engraved by Augustine the Riviere. Expeditionus Hispanorium in Anglian. Vera Descriptio, Anno Du, MD, v 11 1590, intended to accompany Patricia Albadini. A, dis, a discourse of Concernage. concernage. The Spanish fleet in in Ingalendi, in the year 1588, London 1590, Library of Congress, Geography and Map Division, call number G1816S451588A3. Look on page 139, we've got Elizabeth I's histo- uh, historical reputation, we have an activity on this page too. The course. Panic in their anchored fleet, the Spanish shipmasters cut their anchors and in this way were pushed by the tides north-eastward up the coast of the Netherlands. The next morning, the English fleet, by the then-reinforced attack, the disorganised Armando again while the winds helped to drive the Amanda into the North Sea. The Armando's com- uh, commander decided that this his best option was to head for home by the sailing around the north and west coast and the, of the British Isle. There are unseasonably bad weather and an unfamiliar, unfamiliar coast of doomed many ships to destruction. England was saved as a legend was born. The, the armada was defeated, but Elizabeth defeated it. Clearly, Elizabeth personally did not fight it off. As we have seen, female monarchs were unable to lead their troops into battle. However, can we claim that their own actions made the difference between success and failure? Let's think now whether it was it's true to say Elizabeth defeated the murder. So we're going to take activity. It's taken about 15 minutes to complete the activity. Look back over the preceding account of the events. Note down what the main factor of the fate of Armada appeared to have been. It's and It appears um, that... There appear to have been a multiple factors that contributed to the failure of Marder. These include the Marder problematic strategy of attacking England, which did not account for resistance from the English fleet, the design of ships on each side, in particular the effectiveness and speed of the English ships. The two sides' tactics which allowed neither side to inflict serious damage to the other, the fire ship's attack which disrupted the Spanish formation and the weather. Page 140. We're going to stop on this page. Chapter 3, Elizabeth I. Let us consider the factors that contributed to the defeat of the Armada, Armada further. Two of them were clearly beyond Elizabeth's control, the weather. The Spanish and Spain's strategy, others were much more in her control with the strength of the English Navy. The tactics they adopted, and particularly the, fire, um, the fire ships attack, were the responsibilities ruler, so they credited with success in this regard. Which regard to point had Elizabeth made a decision to invest heavily in her naval defences? The answer to this appears to be mostly yes. Nicholas Roger, a leading expert on naval history uh, history writes: the Queen herself a large proportion of those whom she looked for support, had strong reasons to keep up naval strength. Survival was her priority. Over many years, when the odds seemed to be heavily against it, the Queen's ships were designed and maintained almost exclusively for her purpose. Hers was a navy intent not to found the British Empire, but defend country by dominating Channel by the North Sea. Roger argues that the uh, conscious decision that was made to create not uh, conquest, as both early and later monarchs would do, but in order to defend England and seemingly rather weak ruler, this view is supported by Geoffrey Parker, a historian who has compared England and Spain in this period. From the 1570s onward, a naval expert's liberty sought no link to a simple yet realistic defence strategy with appropriate tactics and thus, without an inquiry, appropriate ship design. Philip and his advisers, by contrast, devoted the thought to such matters. Philip perhaps lays more stress on Elizabeth's naval experts rather than Elizabeth herself. As with all this political decision, it's hard to say precisely how much was down to the Queen and how much was down to her advisers and her experts, but this was precisely of a government approved by Elizabeth. Hence, we can chalk it up as a success. What about the role of tactics in the different defeat of the Spanish Armada? Again, it's hard to pinpoint down Elizabeth's personal role. What we know is the instruction of her commander, Admiral Lord Howard Effingham were issued in the same name that she signed them. She must approve them, and she did not put her name to the documents lightly, but she herself conceived instructions. It surely seems likely that she relied on heavily on the advice of her ministers and, perhaps most importantly, of, on her naval commanders themselves who had experience in naval tactics. We cannot say that we did not play an important role in improving documents, but nor can we, can we, can we say she planned the defence in a meaningful way historians offer somewhat different in- interpretations of whether Elizabeth orders provide an effective plan defeating Amarna but Parker writes that when in last December 1587 Queen Elizabeth has ordered a fleet put to sea her instruction to Admiral Howard revealed almost total confusion about Philip's intentions in 1998 to page 120- hundred and twenty two hundred and fifty five. a judgment which suggests poor planning or poor information on Elizabeth's part or uh, on the other hand Rogers place a much more positive inter- interpretation of her orders. The Queen has sometimes been accused of interfer- infer- interfering with admirals, but a few commanders in chief uh, in chief in so critical a situation have been trusted with her complete discretion as Howard Effingham was 200- two thousand four page two hundred and sixty three. In this interpretation, Elizabeth left the decisions in the hands of those with greater expertise which can be regarded as a very good leadership. With regard to the fire ship attack, we have no record of whose plan that was, but Roger refers to it as an obvious enough plan and a well-known form of attack, which the Spanish were expecting 2004, page 269, if so, then when returned to attributing the failure of the Armada to the weakens in the original conception of their plan. On the close examination, it is hard to pinpoint the specific points at which Elizabeth's personal information was critical in the outcome. The Spanish plan was badly conceived from the beginning, and one could argue that Elizabeth merely took the other steps to ensure its defeat. Can we give her any credit at all then? One can argue that Elizabeth appointed the ministers and commands, and therefore their success were her successes, but this is not important to everyone who would accept. One could even make the argument that Elizabeth's soldiers and sailors fought as bravely, and did because of the loyalty to Elizabeth. We can leave that there, so we've got to the start of page 140, uh, 142, Queen Elizabeth the first.